You are listening to Art Freaks. My name's Daniel Crossan. I'm an artist based in London. I'll be sitting down with a variety of creative people to find out why they make the things they make and what lessons they've learned along the way that will help you impact the world with your creativity. Today, we are joined by Waxbones. Based in Bristol, UK, Waxbones is an illustrator and graphic designer with a fascination for the gruesome and gory. Having made the leap to full-time artist in 2021, Waxbones has already worked with brands like Fox Entertainment, Mattel and eBay. Today, we dive into his work, we also talk about the future of NFTs and his personal struggles with mental health. I admire Waxbones not just for his work and prolific output, but also for his openness and vulnerability that he displays both here in this interview and also more broadly in his work and his online presence. Hope you enjoy. Here's Waxbones. Let's go back to the beginning of your story and your journey to where you are now. Um, Folkestone is where you grew up. I was wondering what are the kind of earliest memories you've got of growing up on the South Coast? Um, beaches, my my folks' houses, a stone's throw away from from the beach. Um, so you know that that was always a huge part of growing up. We lived on like a little uh, dead end street with like a field at the end of it. So it was beach on one side, field on the other side. My my hometown was further south towards like Dungeness and the power station so that the power station was always it's like really random but it was always like a looming figure my, my dad has four brothers and they all work at the power station and all live within a five mile radius so um so the power station was always a big thing everyone kind of knew the jeps family because you know that's the main job in that area is is working at a nuclear power station that's interesting is that is that is that still going that power station site a is in decommissioning now so it stopped creating energy like 10 years ago now or something um but it takes 40 years to completely decommission it and break it down into and send off all the old uranium rods and all of that stuff um so it takes a while to where do they put those things Well, they, they have like a half-life, so they get smaller and smaller and then they turn it into a box and they bury it. Nice. That's, I mean, yeah. I can't really dispose of it. Yeah, it's better than throwing it in a river in the sea. <laughs> you get a three-eyed yeah. fish popping out. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and your father was an artist. I find that interesting straight off because a lot of artists I speak to have not had artists in the family. So being an artist was not seen as a viable career option. I was wondering what you learned from him that have helped you. He worked at the power station from the age of like 18 until he retired. Uh, oh no, a bit older than that because he worked in the BBC for a bit. Um, so it, he must have been like mid-20s or something until he retired. But when I was about six, he did his MA in fine art. So that's when... Um, you know, he always had an interest in art um, and that's when he was doing his uh, his paintings and his art in the evenings because obviously he'd work shift work so sometimes he'd work all night and then during the day he would do his art and his, his MA. So art was always there and when we'd go on holidays he'd always take us to the museums that were there wherever we were going. So I think from that perspective it just like put art in the forefront of my mind from a very, very young age. And I think that having that and having a family member with an eye for certain artistic things meant that 
we did a lot more creative stuff as a kid, which obviously, you know, it, it pulled through my, my entire early life. And then I was able to branch off of that in a way and find my own path because I'm not into the type of art that he does or that he likes particularly. <laughs> uh, he's really like Graham Sutherland and, and Damien Hirst and, and people like that. Not quite abstract, but not quite contemporary. Do you think that your dad, you making art uh, was, was, and this isn't like a trying to sort of psychoanalyze that relationship too much of your relationship to art, but was it a way to connect with your father? Was it, was it, was there a source of validation there when you completed a piece of art? Do you remember anything where it was like celebrated? So you're like, I might do more of that. Or is it just this play? Was this more more like a situation of play? Well, I think it probably a little bit of both, really. I think there probably was some subconscious level of, you know, he's doing it, so I should do it as well. Um, and I think that me and my dad connected a lot better than my brother and my dad ever did. Yeah. Uh, and he's not an arty person. So, you know, we had that. But then, you know, my brother and him had other things, like they were well into cars and motorbikes and things like that, which I was never that into. So it was the thing that me and my dad had. If you were to, like, meet yourself, so if we're talking, like, 10-year-old Callum, what what advice would you give him in terms of, like, life advice? I think uh, I to find myself, because I don't think I found truly found who I wanted to be until quite a lot later i think i for a long time was who i thought i was meant to be uh what you know you have to do the you have to do school and then you have to do sit form and then you have to do uni and then you have to get a job and then you have to get married and then you have to have a kid and like that was always what you were meant to do and you know I, i'd do things because they were cool or because they were like uh fashionable within whatever I was a part of at the time so I think I'd probably tell him to just try and find himself like do his own thing for a bit but then saying that if I did tell him that then I wouldn't be where I am now so it's a funny thing to think about going and telling someone to do that because if I had found who I wanted to be at 18 then I wouldn't be who I want to be now yeah all of the stepping stones that kind of make you who you are they're all sort of perfect in their imperfection because they're all sort of learning experiences after Folkestone and and uh youth um (laughs) you moved to Bristol (laughs) the youth um you moved to Bristol to study graphic design and I find I found university to be a time when my brain was like full sponge mode it just wanted to absorb I think also being in a in a high school where it's like yes we get to do art twice a week and that's where you're like I was, you know, generally people that are artists were good at art at that time. And it didn't feel so much like school. It felt like something you knew you kind of were drawn to. Then you get to university and you're surrounded by loads of people that are the same. They, they're all have been eagerly awaiting this moment. So there's this big share of culture and big share of, like, oh, you haven't seen this and you've got to watch these movies. Do you remember what sort of cultural stuff you were looking at or that really impacted you in that in those kind of university years so so before i went to university i did a foundation degree so i moved out at 18 and went to canterbury to do my foundation which for anyone that doesn't know is like one year where you try a load of creative subjects graphic design fine art photography 
fashion. You sort, you sort of do a couple of weeks of each one and then you specialize in one for the last half of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really interesting because it was the first time my friendship group at school weren't necessarily the arty kids. Like I was the arty one. So it was interesting to then find a group of friends that were all into creative subjects. Like I, I had a girl, a friend who she was doing fashion and another friend who was doing photography and everyone was doing these arty things, but everyone was still different. And so that was really interesting to me. Um, and then from that point, I knew, you know, graphic, graphic design was what I wanted to pursue. So that's when I went to Bristol. And I think the whole, from from growing up in a small seaside town in the southeast to then going to the southwest to a cultural hotspot, people of every culture of, you know, freedom and you know, Bristol's very, you know, it's where Banksy like started his his stuff it's where you've got music scene like Portis Head and Massive Attack and a huge scene there and it was like whoa what what are all of these things like there's street art everywhere there's music um I'm young and free and yeah the vibrancy up every night. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 well it wouldn't be university without a bit of that um yeah the vibrancy of a city really can impact you in the in that kind of period of your life i remember coming back to london even i was in birmingham and i kind of like left london which i guess is more vibrant than birmingham but i left because i wanted to have the experience of living away from home but coming back to london i remember like visiting east london however long ago that was 15 years ago and thinking oh wow there's just so much going on here with street art with food with you know young people starting businesses um you know vintage shops people just like really sort of hustling and and making things work using their creativity and i imagine bristol i i always that was always one of those places where i always kept hearing about people i've got a friend in bristol bristol's wicked everyone kept saying bristol was really wicked do you remember particularly any of the sort of cultural influences at that time um or was it just like a barrage of of anything and everything i moved to bristol in 2000 and nine 2009 yeah so i think i think the street art scene when i came here was was amazing and that really did open my eyes to a whole new world because back home graffiti was just vandalism whereas here it's celebrated as an art form there's festivals about it and everything so and it doesn't have to just be a tag it can be a full artistic expression it can be any sort of genre of art as long as it's sprayed onto a wall so i think that really opened my eyes to to a whole new world that I hadn't really been exposed to before. What other kind of art, um, like major art movements or influences, would you say you've kept with you or have, or have impacted you the most in your journey? Bauhaus was always my biggest influence, like everything about, you know, the story of Bauhaus to what was being created from a graphic design perspective, but then also you had like the ceramics part of it. You had the uh, stitching and sewing. You had the photography and the filmmaking. Yeah, it was all under this one roof. Um, I was just, that was fascinating to me. With Bauhaus, was it, it was, a lot of it was about like uh, function, right? So they were like expressing themselves, but it had to be uh, pure and also serve a function, which I think being in graphics is kind of like everything to do with graphics I, I i just read about it because i didn't i knew like to look at a Bauhaus poster but prior to this um mm. talk i just had a little look about the history and stuff and i found it really interesting 
and they they kind of yeah. I think had to like shut it down when the Nazis were yeah. rising up because the Nazis didn't like it because they said it was like too too communist or something too progressive and too communist yeah they they basically got chased out of they got chased out of Berlin and then closed down I I think the school only really lasted like ten years or something maybe not even yeah and yeah this movement like a hundred years on is still at the forefront of of design like and and creating rules to then break them and you know the, the influence that they had on on like um on women in in design and putting them at the forefront whereas before you know women weren't allowed to do x y and z they weren't allowed to do like metal work or anything whereas here you know women could could do whatever they wanted you know people like laszlo maholi naji was one of the like forefront of graphic design within Bauhaus and like and and how he would play with type and shape and you know form and function and yeah all all of that really fascinated me it, you can see it in your work i think you can see your graphics background in your work and i think we'll delve a little bit into that and what you kind of how that's refined in your sort of or influenced your your style directly um let's jump like a little bit of a, a time warp to 2021 because i think Two NFT artists or artists in the in the Web three space can't like talk. <laughs> we can't talk for an hour without talking about NFTs at some point. Uh, let's get it over and done with. <laughs> um, but yeah, twenty twenty one NFT crypto. Um, anyone I've spoken to in these podcasts that has been involved can sort of remember it, but it's a bit blurry because it was like this fever dream. Um, it was mm. this crazy, crazy time. And I think, you know, we'll make a great series of documentaries, I think, uh, on Netflix at some point. Um, the first question is, are NFTs dead? No, just simply no. And, you know, when, when we talk about NFTs, it's not just art. It's not just a monkey JPEG. Like the actual blockchain and NFT technology, I think, is just scratching the surface with what it is right now. And... I honestly believe that in the next decade, it will form the basis of pretty much everything we do from buying concert tickets to buying a house. Um, I, I just think anything that you want to own, having it on a blockchain just makes sense. I think it will be it will form the backbone of gaming uh, as soon as people get past what what is seen from the outside. As soon as they get past the Bored Ape Yacht Club side of things, and see NFTs for what they really could be, you know, being able to buy a gun in Fortnite and then take it over, customize it in Call of Duty, and then use it in a new new game after that. Right? It's, the possibilities are endless if it can just be adopted. Uh, so yeah, in answer to your question, no, they're not dead. That's a really interesting use case. One of the general questions from gamers is, well, why do we need it? Because it's working perfectly fine. I know from growing up playing like a ridiculous amount of computer games, um, I was never really rewarded other than the gameplay for my time. These companies, if you're spending money on skins, these companies are making huge amounts of money. They're like sub sub subscription-based games now where you're, you're not really paying for the game, you're just paying for bits inside the game. It makes sense that like if you complete a mission, you get some rewards that then you can exchange for a token and then eventually down the line, you can take that token out as as money. Um, 
that kind of makes sense. And and it's a kind of an extension of where Twitch is now with people playing games, but sharing it and getting gifted stuff from people that are watching because they're providing entertainment. It's like a direct thing from the gaming company saying, thank you for playing the game. Here is an, here is a reward that's actually valuable. I mean, we grew up with the internet sort of really emerging. The difficulty is that we've grown up with everything free. So it's a real shift and it has been a massive shift for me to think about digital assets as being limited and scarce and provably so and worth different amounts according to, you know, that, those kind of things. Like you said, because we um, grew up with everything being free, um, the kids these days that are playing Fortnite, they have no problem with microtransactions and paying a tenner for a Spider-Man skin. And the way I always think about it is like, that's great. You've got that £10 Spider-Man skin. But what if that Spider-Man skin was limited to only 100 and you decided you didn't want it anymore and you could sell it to another player for twice the amount you paid for it and get royalties from it and all of a sudden you've got proper digital collectibles that people can use in game the question is not why but you don't need nfts to make them valuable because you could just use fiat to to exchange for those things but it's just better like crypto makes that better makes it easier makes it seamless it can make it decentralized but you know we'll see where that goes i would agree that they're not dead but it's um it, it's a very much a lull and very much an emerging thing where people are, you know, not, not, there's, it, it's not proven itself yet. So people are very scared uh, to hold it. So that's why it's so up and down. It was exciting into 21 because it was new. You could collect and it felt like you were collecting and trading uh, like Pokemon cards or whatever. Like it felt like that. Mm. But now I think people, as Ethereum and Bitcoin have, dipped and the market slowed down people are thinking ah i got a wallet full of all these pfps and stuff oh did i really need them should i have bought them like it was exciting and fun but people only bought them as an investment yeah to sell them to someone else for more money exactly so that, that that was that was um a, a, in in trading communities that was like an, a sort of running joke was the best because everyone was like well what's the utility what does it unlock for me in real life what parties can i get into what you know what merch do i get and the joke was really is like the 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 best utility is line go up or floor price that's like mm -hmm. the best utility because essentially that was the the use case of a lot of them was um being able to sell them for an appreciated value. You can't answer this question with you would have bought a board ape, but what would you have done differently if you could do that cycle all over again? I would have cashed out at the top <laughs> rather than waiting <laughs> and and leaving it <laughs> and losing a shit ton of money. <laughs> so so would you say like not listen to broad narratives that serve people that uh are more experienced at trading is that kind of a viable yeah yeah because i i st and still today have very little knowledge of trading mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies and i don't do it very well i think i should have been more sensible and i should have uh thought about tax more i was fully employed when i first started so i was already in a higher tax bracket mm. and then during the bubble where ethereum was really high and everything was exciting and I was selling everything immediately. Everything I minted was being sold immediately. Editions, one of ones, everything. So I made a lot of money. And then I realized a year later when Ethereum had dropped and sales weren't happening anymore and I had lost a lot of money that I still needed to pay tax on the initial 
when Ethereum was high and that yeah. screwed me over a lot. And that's probably the biggest mistake that I have ever made in, in my life, probably. <laughs> yeah, taking li little bits out as you sell art, I think is a massive thing. Um, and, you know, something for, for artists outside the NFT space as well. It's like if you sell paintings and you're starting to do this to a point where you're going to pay tax on it, every time you sell a painting, you just put, put 40, 50% on the side. If you've got some left over at the end, great, you know, buy yourself a new pair of Air Max or whatever. Um, it took a massive toll, that cycle, on artists. Um, and I, I think there was a, a, a lot of pressure um, for artists to, as you say, remain positive don't be too um you know to there was a lot of sort of dynamics between collectors and artists being pushed you know uh shilling your work in a way that was a little bit like um demeaning maybe mm -hmm. is maybe a bit of a harsh word but um what sort of challenges did you face in that respect um and how did you overcome them yeah the shilling thing was a big issue for me because I, I'd never really used social media to this extent, let alone trying to sell myself and my wares. <laughs> so having to jump on every thread and go, look, I've got this for sale and I've got this for sale. Like that was a real struggle for me. I kept doing it because it's what was, it was the only way for me to get my name out there. And people were searching for that next artist that they could see appreciation on in a, in a in a two or three weeks sort of time frame and double their money or whatever so everyone was on the lookout or these uh sort of crypto veterans that got in late were all trying to discover the next um people or whatever it was that they could make a, a lot of money on so they they worked at first there was something that felt unsustainable about that model <laughs> um yeah. which i think was difficult to 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 be a part of because the highs were so unbelievably high, like just emotionally, like, wow, someone has bought my work. It's sold for one ETH, which at the moment is like four grand or whatever. Mm. I, uh, I'm worth something. Like, this is amazing. And then everything changes in a matter of weeks. And that means that the lows are even lower and even more crushing when all of a sudden you're not selling out and no one is buying anything and no one's giving you a hundred likes on your tweet because everything has changed in the, like in the blink of an eye. So, so being with what we've talked about, would you still recommend artists to enter the space at this point? Wait, what, what would, what advice would you give to an artist that's listening to this? And it's like, I've heard about NFTs and I, I reckon I should probably check them out. Yeah. I reckon before getting involved, be part of the conversation, like following people and chatting to people and truly understanding why you want to make an NFT. Because if you're coming here expecting what you've heard from 2021, it's not that anymore. And you may not, if you've got a hundred followers on, on Twitter and Instagram, you're not going to come here and get rich quick. <laughs> I hate to say it. And you know, we're not all going to make it. I hated that when that was the thing, like we're all going to make it like, bullshit. Some of us aren't going to make it <laughs> like, at the end of the day, this is business and people need to, you know, make money to survive, to pay their rent, to feed their kids, to put clothes on their back. So it's cutthroat, but you know, I, I'd say do it, get involved, talk to people, find friends, find like-minded people, 
And if you really think that this is the way forward for your art and you understand what an NFT actually is, then yeah, mint it in the bear market. Right? It's always mm. going to be there. It's on the blockchain forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't. <laughs> What's the worst that'll happen? You lose a bit of a bit of money in gas fees, or I mean, you won't even if you do um, the, the gasless minting thing. Mm. Yeah. I think you've touched on a really important thing, which is don't come into the space to make money. I think um, something that kind of still sticks with me a little bit, and I, I don't know whether that's something I should just get over, but people that became artists in February, 2021 really Mm. gets to me. And it's like, well, I've always wanted to be an artist and I've always, you didn't want to be an artist until there was a lot of money to be made. So, so your intentions, I think, you know, people's intentions can be kind of seen in, in, in when they started to make that style of art or if they were jumping on a trend or if they tried to make, um, art like, the people that were selling really, really well. Um, yeah, I think that it, there is a way of connecting to new collectors that exists within NFTs. And there's a lot of people that are really hungry for art and they might not be people that have a lot of crypto right now, but they're people that are very bullish on the space long-term. And if you can establish, you know, not a name for yourself, but definitely connect to different communities that are here for the right reasons and connect to collectors that are, like you're you're better off joining in the bear market, in my opinion, releasing a free open edition NFT and getting into as many wallets as possible so that people know who you are. And then they have an incentive to retweet you when the next bull market happens than to sit on the sidelines and go, well, it's not, you know, NFTs are dead. I don't need to think about it. And then if they they do get talked about again, you're like a little bit late um, or later. That's a, that's a really good, that's a really good piece of advice, a free open edition yeah, that that's that. Do An that. answer to your question. Is do that. <laughs> um, I I released an open edition recently, and it got minted by a few, quite a few people, and it made me feel good. And I know that that like you know that's not going to pay my bills, but um, if I'd released it for crypt for an amount of money, it might not have got into so many wallets, and that made me feel like okay, I can I keep participating. You know, keep going. It was like a nice pat on the back, keep going kind of thing. Um, so yeah. And, and the tools that are here now are not, weren't necessarily here when we joined. And I think, you know, there's some really interesting use cases. There's some really interesting artists that will be able to express them in kind of very interesting ways using this technology that we haven't heard of yet. So I'm I'm sort of excited for that. And I'm excited for the market to maybe support that, you know, um, talking about like monetary, you know, selling stuff for an ETH and stuff that's, that's what a lot of people would deem as as success, but what would your definition of success be? To me, uh, if we're talking about in a real life situation, if someone comes up to me and is like, I've, I've seen your work before, like it's really cool. But that to me is success. If someone has actually seen something that I do and recognizes it as me, then I have succeeded in like presenting my artwork and getting it out there. I think just being seen as me and being recognized as me, not in, not in like a, Whoa, look, there's wax bones over the other side of the Sign street. Sign me like and I'll get a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just just having a piece of artwork that someone has looked at, connected with, and gone, yes, that is a wax bones piece. Like that to me is success. Nice. 
And then if someone's willing to wear my work as well, because I've done like lots of t-shirts and stuff. So if someone actually is happy to put it on their body and walk around the street with it, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, talking about that, you did some really interesting things. One of the one of the pieces of clothing that you released, if you pointed your phone at it, it started to animate and like come out of the 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 t shirt. Um, yeah, how did you how did that come about? Uh, so I'd done the t shirt, I'd done the artworks for for something. It was an animated artwork, and I sold it as an edition of five. With it came a t shirt, and it was just the normal t shirt with the still of the design on the back, and. Uh, I sent it to the the collectors. One of the collectors, um, Fabiano, I forget his surname, but he's a really cool artist. He was like, "Oh, have you have you thought about using augmented reality to make the back of it move?" And I was like, "Interesting." So he talked me through it. And we did it, and it was amazing. And then that got me a collaboration with Meta Factory, where we just did that from scratch, amazing. where we thought, "Right, this is going to be an AR T-shirt." Um, and it's you know, it's not something that you. See see because you need to have your phone out and pointed to it for it to move but as a thing where you sat at the pub being like oh point your phone at my t-shirt that yeah. was the use case that i had in my head that, that uh, is such a, a good use case yeah i love that i love that yeah and it's like you know and and maybe people that are like what's this what's this fucking nfts you're getting involved with and you're like point your phone at my t-shirt Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> the future's here. <laughs> but that's a tangible, it's a tangible thing that people it can is. really connect with. And like, yeah. you don't need to pay for anything. You don't need to understand it. All you need is your phone and the T-shirt. Um, I'd like to focus in a little bit more on your work. It's inescapable, this reoccurring theme of death and mortality, uh, skulls. It's it's sort mm. of in everything that you do. Six days ago, you tweeted, I whispered in her ear, you better fear me, dear, for I am death. Um, my question really is, like, what do you think happens when we die? Nothing. It's the end. It's darkness. We cease to exist and that's it. This is, in my opinion, this is the one chance we get and you better make it count. Otherwise, I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't believe in a god. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like the idea of it, but it's just not what I believe. Um, you know, it may this may seem really like dark and gloomy, but it's actually quite positive. I think there's something freeing in realizing that nothing matters. Like once once I got to the point where I thought nothing, there is no meaning to life. It's all just a series of random coincidences. It sort of frees you in a way to be like, well. Why can't I do X, Y, or Z, you know? Right. Yeah, I understand that. Um, does that make you scared of death? Yeah, I think I yeah, I think I'm scared of death. I think it would be unnatural to not be afraid of death. Um I think that you know it, it's inevitable, but I'd like to put it off as long as possible and enjoy what I've got and spend time with the people that I like. So yeah, I, I yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> petrified of it um yeah. yeah it's an interesting thing i think um are you 33 now uh-huh i had um i uh had my 40th birthday this year and i lost my mum two years uh nearly two years ago mm -hmm. and that was my like i mean i had grandparents that had died and stuff but 
um this was the first mm-hmm. time where it was like was really hit me in a in a existential crisis kind of way um and and then i had my 40th birthday so i was a good <laughs> double whammy and i was just yeah. thinking like oh my god it's like if i think about how long i've lived i'll be lucky to do it that same amount again and it was mm-hmm. the it was that real deep deep realization when people say uh life's too short i was like it really is too short and i i and i think you know so so hearing that answer it makes me think um a little bit more the skull in used in your work is a little bit more like um a memento mori in in the sense that it's a reminder of death but it's a reminder to live it's wrestled with a lot in art and it's um it's the biggest question, right? It's the biggest. It's the ultimate unknown. It's the, it's ultimate, the ultimate unknown. Yeah. And I think because of how I feel about it, it fascinates me learning about how other cultures have, have thought about death and how they've thought about, um, you know, different realms, spirits and, and demons and things like that. And like, I don't, yeah, I don't believe it because... Yeah, that's that's just me, but I don't. Um, I would never like force my opinion on anyone else. If someone else believes in a different type of afterlife, it's like that is fascinating to me. Believe in whatever you've got to get through the day. <laughs> a lot. Of, I think a lot of people are distracted from that thought. It, it makes mm. people very uncomfortable. The conversation makes people very uncomfortable, and a, a lot of people are running away from that realization um, in the way mm. that they live. Yeah, I don't know what I believe. I mean, I don't know whether I could sort of put it all into like a a little a little paragraph, but um I've had some I would say spiritual experiences that may have made me think uh feel very deeply that there is something more um and that perhaps consciousness is something that's not just our brain talking to our you know, through our senses and that's the finite amount of it. But I don't know. Like I hope more than anything that I'm completely wrong and there's something more like that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> would you be open to changing your mind on that? I mean, I don't know how you would change your mind other than some sort of divine spiritual experience, but I say, yeah, it would have to be my own experience. I wouldn't be able to, I don't think any one person could sit and tell me their belief and me change my mind. Have you watched any of the documentaries on things like, um, ayahuasca retreats and these kinds of things where people do you know about ayahuasca? No, no. Oh, so, so, so I, cause I know that you're kind of into different cultures ideas of of uh spirit realms and stuff like that it's kind of like mm-hmm. it's almost like a, the fascination of paranormal and those kinds of things go mm-hmm. hand in hand with cults and uh yeah. tribes and religions and stuff um but yeah so so a lot of people that that do ayahuasca um say that they travel to the same place which is like a, an out of body experience and um that this is it's it's the the chemical which is essentially absorbed into the body is called dmt and that is something that is released in small quantities when we're born and when we die so the experience is is probably similar to the experience of of birth and death 
um, and you get transported into this kind of other dimension where you're sort of flying and meeting entities and all sorts of sort of out of this world type things. I'm wondering how open you would be to doing to doing an experience like that, or does it feel like pushing? And and I don't mean opening your consciousness because that's arguable. I think like would you be open to kind of doing something like that or is that idea of going out of your body into this place kind of not something you'd like to do <laughs> no I, I mean i'd be open to something like that i'd be open to experiencing it just because i feel like i'm the only person that i can trust in those matters so if i have experienced it i believe that people that do it experience it in their own worlds in their brains in their heads so i would have to experience it in my own i couldn't have someone say oh i did that and i'd like okay fine i believe that you believe you did yeah i understand so i'm um, i'm looking on uh i'm looking on skyscanner now and booking some flights for us <laughs> <laughs> to parade <Nice. laughs> uh, we'll have to wait until the next uh bull run for that maybe <laughs> to afford yeah. those flights um yeah what was the kind of moments in your life where you can really remember feeling alive my honeymoon i think just i think when you get you know you, you don't have any work to worry about you've got no kids with you and you just relax and everything in you sort of just flows out of you and you just chill like that ultimate relaxation feels like living and like no care just enjoying whatever the scenery is just i think yeah that's living but i don't think i've ever had like a spirit uh, like a moment where i've you know jumped off i've never jumped off a cliff or like gone skydiving and been like wow i feel alive yeah i i think that there is more to be said in those tranquil moments and i think i've jumped out of a plane it was something that when i when i met my partner um she said, uh, what's your bucket list? And we kind of went through a few things. One of those things was about owning a house. And I was like, I'm never going to own a house. Um, <laughs> cause I just had a belief that it was impossible. Yeah. But one of them was, um, jumping out of a plane and she bought me a plane ticket for my, I want to say like 36th birthday or something. And it took me a whole year. I had one day left on my ticket. <laughs> so I was like, wow. I'll go next week. I'll go next week. And I kept putting it off. Um, and then it was like, if you don't go next week, it's going to just run out and all of the money I've spent on it's just going to sort of be worth nothing. So I went and did it. And first of all, I was, I wasn't scared. Um, but jumping out of the plane is it's a, it's a very exhilarating experience, but I didn't feel alive. It was just your, my mind was just in like panic mode, sort of like you have to sort of let go because there's nothing you can do. You're strapped to somebody mm. who hopefully has done this enough times. That they don't just think like, oh no, I tangled it. And they're yeah. like, you know. Oh, that's so a lot of trust you put in a stranger in that moment. Yeah. And then, so we jumped out. So he's like, lean back. And I like lean, leant back, leant or leaned back out of the lean plane. Deep. And you're like hanging upside down out of the plane and you're strapped to somebody and your arms are out like that. And you're like, uh um and then he's like okay three two one let's go and then you jump and then that's it that the free falling bit seems like to go in a second and then the parachute bit is a little bit more like you can take it in and just like oh my god what's what's just happened and then when we landed mm -hmm. the funniest thing about the whole thing and the sort of 
the story's peak <laughs> is at the end I said oh that was it that was intense and he was like would you do it again and I was like yeah and he was like yeah thank thankfully it went everything went well um so that was my first um that was my first jump uh, tandem jump with a paying customer and I was like oh my god, oh my god I'm so glad you didn't tell me that <laughs> before <Yeah. laughs> I was like get me out of here um <laughs> Yeah, but that that wasn't like feeling alive. I definitely feel feel traveling is a massive thing where you're like, I think we're supposed to move around. I think we're kind of like, we are maybe as a species like supposed to move around for food or something. But whenever I'm like experiencing new cultures and experiencing kind of adventure, uh, jumping on a a boat when the boat's like, oh, is this safe? You know. That, those are the moments where I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is awesome. This is living. Um, you traveled a lot, I think, in your last job as well when you were doing sign graphics. Yeah, wayfinding. Yeah. Wayfinding, so maps so, and signage for cities and, and transit systems and stuff. Um, did you get to travel a lot as part of that job in, in terms of like different places? And did you live in different places? Yeah, yeah. So I did a lot within the UK. I spent a year working and living in Moscow, uh, which was really interesting. Nice. Um, I lived in New York for a little bit, working there, and then San Francisco as well. Yeah, and then then lots of like random places in, in Scotland or Wales or, or, or across the UK, really. What's your favourite place that you've been to? Japan. Absolutely. Japan, Japan was... I've never felt, because I'm a tall guy, I'm 6'3", six, 6'4", six, like I'm mm -hmm. a tall guy, and Japan is not made for tall people. <laughs> I've never felt taller <laughs> or whiter in my entire life. Like it's, it's in those moments where you're out of your comfort zone that you realise that, like, wow, like this is incredible. Like There's so much different here that I don't understand, and it's so cool yeah I, I loved japan i loved it as as human beings we are meant to experience different ways of living and and moving and eating and drinking and yeah um mental health let's talk mm. a little bit about that because i think um you've spoken about it publicly quite a lot i think it's great that you do that i think um i think more artists need to do that i think more guys need to do that i think more people in the crypto space need to do that um there's a bit of a in my opinion too much of a bit of a bro culture going on in crypto um a little bit too much of hero worship um and projecting a false reality that's sort of not just in crypto is sort of abundant in all social media um you know show the best bits of your life uh, the more jealousy inducing the content, the better it will do, or at least, um, the more people will, you, you know, and, it, and also sometimes it's not purposeful. I think people, you know, they think their life's boring. And then when they have a really nice meal at a really nice restaurant, they share it. But then your stories are all full of people eating in nice restaurants, being, you know, on a tropical beach somewhere, finishing a workout. And you're like, I'm shit. This is not, you know, that's not, it's proven now it's really not good for you in your um known origin piece in my own head the description on the right of it says sometimes i feel like i'm trapped in my own head at times anxiety gets the better of me i was wondering how much of what i've just talked about has inspired uh, not inspired sorry it caused that anxiety 
Um, how has anxiety affected you, really, and, and have you been able to overcome it? I think anxiety and mental health were things that I never took seriously until I looked back and realised that I had suffered for a long time, until I got to the point where I broke down and you know, was diagnosed and got over the stigma of being medicated and actually did something about it, you know, went to therapy, took the medication that I was meant to be taking and all of this. It still affects me. And I think for a lot of sufferers, it will always affect. It's not something that you cure, you know, Mm. and it is always there at the back of my mind, like particularly in, in like an art sense, like, Oh, I've done this piece and now it's like, I can't release it because no one will like it and I'm not good enough. And this is, this is rubbish. And you know, the the work will just sit for for months and months before I do anything with it. And I think it is important for us to speak about these things because you're right. When you look at social media, you're seeing the best 1% of a person's day and it makes those people seem like they've got this incredible life. When in reality, I bet they're suffering the same way that we all are a lot of them yeah it's a, it's a tough thing to talk about and it's a tough thing to admit to yourself that that you're struggling with i think a lot of the time and so now i, I talk about it because i think there is a lot of people that get their followings through toxic positivity and and hustle culture and stuff and i think those are the two things particularly on on crypto twitter and nft twitter that that are dangerous and cause people to break down it causes burnout it causes mental health issues it you know people's feeling like they're not good enough and yeah i I don't like that and i don't like that people make money from that i think pretending to be a certain way or or on at all times is probably not beneficial for the people that is that are seeing that content over and over but also for the people that are are putting that out because they can't it's very difficult to live up to. I think people that feel like, but I'm not burning out and I love my work. And it's like, okay, cool. But is there something else here? Because it's, it's every single, it's every single day. It's every, like, you can't always be on, be on like that. And if you think that you are, and you think there's not a problem, there could be something else there. I, th- I was listening to a Rick Rubin podcast. Rick Rubin's podcast is, is, is a definite go-to um, he's he's really really interesting guy, and he was talk he 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 talks about this a, a bunch of times because he's dealt with artists that have <clears throat> grown up with big dreams, and he's helped them realize those dreams by sort of facilitating a, a space where they can feel comfortable, really making the art that they want to make. That's all all his sort of thesis is just like I I support the artist to make the thing that they were always supposed to make. Anyway, I'm going off topic, but he says like a lot of people that. Uh, that have this dream for ages and ages and ages and they work and work and work towards it, they get there and then they're like, what's next? And it can be like the most depressing part of somebody's life because if if everybody in the crypto art space or the art space, like, oh, once I get my gallery show and then it's like, oh, well, once I sell out the show, where's the end? What's this, what's this for? Really thinking deeply about why you want something. What are you trying to get this accolade for? What are you trying to get this part in a movie for what are you trying to sell? What are you trying to get that number one album for is not why you want to make the art because there's a, that's a completely separate issue. Like if you make the best album in the world ever and it doesn't, you know, get to number one, it's kind of a better thing than 
getting to number one and having an, an, an album that everyone's going to forget about in 10 years. That's really what artists want, right? They want to make the best possible art. So it's interesting because he said like so many people he works with really strive for this. And I see a lot of work, workaholism. Um, I've suffered from workaholism or, or maybe still do. It's something that you can throw yourself into and work and work and work. But, you know, there's something else behind needing you're trying to fill something. It's the same reason why people gamble or drink or whatever. It's still you're, you've got some sort of hole that you're, you're sort of trying to to fill and trying to prove your validity in the world, looking for acceptance and all of, the, all of these things. This is the problem with the workaholism and um, burnout and mental health is that you don't realize that it's a problem until it's too late. I think anyone that has suffered from any of those things can pinpoint the tipping point where they suddenly realized, shit, I am burnt out or I am having a breakdown or I have been neglecting whatever else, my other commitments because I've been working so much. But there's that one moment where suddenly the, the light switch turns off mm. and you're like, shit, something's got to change. And I think before you get, I, I mean, it's easier said than done. If you can prevent that moment from tipping that's probably the ideal situation but yeah it's not not something you can really tangibly stop you know sometimes well i think it's it's taking breaks and and i wanted to speak to you about this i think it's built building things into your routine that are like um good for you uh that are not revolved around work mm. uh i was going to ask you about your routines because you you make like you make a lot of work um, from the outside looking in, and I know it's always different in the artist's head, but from the outside looking in, you've, you've made a, a incredible amount of work in the NFT space, especially considering you were working a full-time job for most of that. What kind of routine do you have and what kind of like ways do you alleviate anxiety, uh, in a positive way? In all honesty, the past few months I've gotten into some really bad habits. My routine is not good at the moment not normally it would be school so you have to get up early to get the kids ready for school and take them in for for half eight and then you're up you're ready and you can get to work until you have to pick them up again at three and then you know the afternoon it's family time you can spend it we maybe we'll go to the park maybe we'll do whatever and then you know i can do the other bits that i need to do in the day once half seven rolls around and she's gone to bed hmm. perhaps there's a walk or something spliced in there and you know i would normally work a monday to friday if i've got stuff to do at the weekend that's fine but you know family time takes takes priority at the weekend recently i've sort of slipped into older habits of you know not going for a walk not leaving the house it's so bad i can't remember the last time i went for a walk which is awful like i normally make it a thing that I do every single day but recently it's just been I don't know maybe I'm just like the weather's sort of so up and down at the moment and it's a cop out though isn't it it's like oh, it's, it's, a cop a out. it's, an, <laughs> it's an absolute cop out and you know so so I think my routine is a little bit all over the place I do need to make a, some sort of change because I work at home my office space here is next to my bedroom you don't have that commute or that change of scenery and if i do do that i tend to go to the pub and then i'm spending money having a few pints while i'm drawing you know 
which is also unhealthy. Which you can't do every so, yeah, day. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a part of a healthy routine, but not exactly. not bad. In in sort of you know short short yeah not every day is what I'm sort of trying to get at yeah it's difficult I've got a dog he makes me on certain days he makes me take him out and what I mean by that is he just won't take no for an answer and maybe getting the kids ready has taken too long and that's something like I wrestle with is for example if I have a morning that runs late and by the time I kind of take take the kids to the childminder and walk the dog and post some parcels. I do some reselling stuff. So I post, go to the post office. Sometimes it's like half 10, 11. And then I feel like I'm playing catch up with my creative stuff. Is that something that you find that you're like, oh, I should have worked more or I should have finished that piece or I should be further along? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, a lot of times I'll, you know, run out of ideas. Like my creative block will come and we're like i should be working i i'm sat here looking at a blank ipad and going i I should be making something but i don't know what i need to make i don't know why i don't have anything yet and sort of you know realizing that and then going and doing something else like that's the perfect time to go for a walk or that's the perfect time to read a book or do something that's not screen based Mm. and that's happened to me over the past couple of weeks and i've created what i think is some of my best work from that that's sort of like i have no ideas so i'm going to go for a walk and then i'm just going to scribble some things i'm just going to draw anything and from that you know i've ended up with a couple of pieces in the bank that i think are actually some of my best pieces Uh, Mm. so it's funny how that works (laughs) there's a few things that made me think of like just turn up was was uh, some advice that I sort of consumed. I can't remember how, um, a few years ago. And that was really like, that was really, that was really good for me because I was giving myself excuses to not sit and look at a painting or not sit and draw and not actually put myself in the, in the place where that creative creative stuff happens. I was also playing a lot of FIFA at that time, um, <laughs> which is a good distraction. Yeah, it's 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 wrestling with that just turn up and then also step away, like open a book, you know, do something that that you sort of don't always have time to do. Um, and mm. sometimes the 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 idea just sort of shows itself to you. There's an interesting thing. It's a Rick Rubin thing again, but it's um, the system of down song Chop Suey, where the, there's a part where he where he in the middle eight where he's sort of screaming father 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 and he didn't have any vocals for that bit he didn't have any lyrics and he was stuck on it and you know uh the band environment you've got you know five guys or four guys in that band i think all sitting around just looking at the singer like you know we've done our bit you know we're paying for this time let's move it along and and if 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 a singer or gets a creative block it's very difficult to move forward and rick Mm. rubin just said look just go to my library (laughs) <laughs> on the other wing <laughs> wherever it yeah. is go to the library open up a book two books whatever and just open the page and just see what happens and he said uh you know just sit there for as long as you need it might be an hour it might be two hours whatever and just have a look through see if anything happens if not you come back here you're in the same position that you were before so Serge goes to the library sits down picks up a book the first page he opens is father why have you forsaken me and he's like father (laughs) why have you fuck that's amazing and then he goes back smashes the vocal and they have like the biggest hook of the entire album and you know their entire library uh he said and that's just like how some creative stuff happens is just like not 
not really knowing where you're going to get the inspiration from, but allowing yourself to be open to it. Yeah, that's the key, allowing yourself to be open. If you're looking for something, you tend to not find it. It's only when you've stopped looking that you find it. You're not going to find it by staring at a white screen or a white canvas. It's just not going to happen. So in terms of going back to your work, I think style-wise, you're instantly recognizable, not just as a as an NFT artist, but as an artist, as a as an illustrator, as an image maker. Can you talk a little bit about style? I know I know new artists are always sort of obsessed about how do you find your style? What has influenced this dramatic sort of easily recognizable style? I think I think my style is literally come from like copying various sources. I think a lot of artists do that to begin with, don't they? They they copy and and evolve and develop. And my buff came from I was always obsessed with sci-fi and and horror films and Star Wars and punk music and and hardcore music. I think the first time I saw the used album In Love and Death with Alex Pardee's artwork on the front of it, I was just obsessed with his art from then on. Mm -hmm. And, And tattoo culture and things like that. I think all of that sort of plays into my work in in a lot of ways. So someone once described my work as um whimsical yet macabre, which which I really like because it does have that cartoony almost 30s rubber hose style mixed with black work tattoos or or, or stuff like that. Um so I I think use of that and and the heavy line works and the really clean line work that I think I probably evolved from my own graphic design career and and designing maps and stuff making sure that all the lines are parallel and perpendicular and perfectly perfectly smooth i think all of that has played into something that you know it's not it's not unique but it is recognizable it it pulls from a lot of influences i don't think you can really be wholly original anymore in this in this world everything comes from something and it's kind of refining it to like make it your own i think there's uh there's a difference in copying artists or like you know imitating artists until you find your style and then being confident that you've got your own style and then sharing it what sometimes Mm. you see is people sort of imitating a style and saying i've uh you know and then saying i i'm i'm an artist and i've been and, and i want to be treat it as if this this is very unique work and it and it's frustrating sometimes for artists to see other artists do that you know you mm-hmm. you see that it's um so close to something else that's successful or or current and you just think really just keep doing your own thing eventually you're going to get people to kind of catch on to it and you'll get to a place where your style is original um th- i can definitely see with your lines the the black work tattoo influence also thematically there is a lot of sort of stuff from emo culture you know from from post hardcore visuals t-shirts stuff like that has kind of uh bled in no pun intended so so in terms of the style i think like do you think that that's really served you very well in terms of um that your positioning in the nft space and being able to kind of get work working with interesting people definitely definitely i think having that style that people started to associate with me has put me in a really good position. Like people just yesterday, I think someone tagged me and was like, Oh, is this wax bones work? It wasn't. Was it somebody copying you? <laughs> uh, it was, um, what's his name? Junkyard who does like uh, the yeah. creepy club and 
all of that stuff. So we do have quite similar styles. I was like, great, like that's amazing. Like his work's incredible. So <laughs> it's that it's that rubber hose cartoon influ- influence that that you know a lot of a lot of people have not um, you know have not not known where that's come from because you know they might uh, they might not have you know watched those Saturday cartoons or that early Disney stuff. And I've grown up on on Toy Story and stuff. Yeah, and I, I was obsessed with those really early black and white rubber hose animations. I'd try and make flip books and stuff like that. And I think over the past few years, it's become popularized with, um, uh, what's that video game? Cuphead. Cuphead, yeah. I think that sort of brought it back to the forefront and you start to see it a lot more now, which is cool. Like, mm. I, I love seeing people doing stuff like this, like... Um, Tony Babel, his stuff is oh, his stuff's great. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Super freak as well, heavily influenced by that era. And that style, as I said, got you sort of recognition in the NFT space and then sort of allowed you to work with some interesting brands. Um, can you talk about the the project with uh, the masked singer? Yeah. I had worked with props who are a dev team before on one of my projects, and they were doing work with uh, was Fox and their new animated blockchain TV show, Crapopalypse. And they wanted to branch out and do something for The Masked Singer, which is basically a reality show that, um, yeah, they, they have celebrities dressed up in crazy costumes and each week they sing a song and they get voted off. And they, they wanted to have a Web3 experience that worked alongside the show so you could... You could buy your PFP and then earn points by voting on who you think is going to win each each week. Um, and those points you could then spend on upgrading your background or your um, the sunglasses. Re- rewarding participation. And, exactly. Um, yeah, really. I think you see that with, like, I, you see the potential in, in those experiences. If you think about, like, Twitter during Eurovision, like a, a cultural event, like the way that everybody sort of participates and has their own kind of spin on things and shares it socially is is kind of it's kind of like a precursor maybe to a lot of web3 experiences surrounding an event on TV or or a sporting event or whatever it's really interesting and i think probably that you know the reason that they chose you was the distinctive style and your sort of proven ability to to put a project out and sort of follow through on it. So what is, what's next? I mean, looking forward, I, I I really like that you're sort of pushing towards having some what I would call I, IRL wearables, um, some 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 merchandise that can really help sort of push your visuals out further, you know, even further, and um, you know, th- new things to collect. What what else do you have looking forward, or or are you sort of looking to implement those first before you decide so i have a big project which i don't think i'm allowed to talk about yet but it's working with a pre-existing nft project so a project that was big in 2021 they want like a a reinvigoration so i'm working on a project with them and going to be the lead artist for that project for Amazing. a bit which really really cool um it's a project that I've, yeah, I, I love, I love the project. I love what they've done over the past couple of years and yeah, it's going to be cool. The next phase is going to be really, really cool. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just got into super rare as I well. Just about, I was just about to bring that up. Congratulations. For those that don't Thank know, you, super yeah. rare is like in 2021, it was sort of like the, the, 
the verification badge of like your art's actually good. <laughs> it's getting on super rare because it was so highly curated. It was so difficult, still is so difficult to get on. It took me a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, but it's a big deal for NFT artists, I think, to kind of just, you know, sometimes it feels like you're you're flying under the radar of collectors and you're not really sure why. You feel like your work is good or as good as some of the other people and you're not sort of, you're not maybe, you, you get, you sort of start to overanalyze your approach and maybe think too much because you haven't got that. It's not like, it's not the be all and end all. It's just like a really nice, um, it's a really nice curated platform to get your stuff on. Um, yeah. and, and your Genesis is coming out soon. I, I don't know when this is coming out, but it's going to be coming out soon on super rare. Yeah, really soon. There's coming back to that anxiety thing. Like the piece has been ready for ages and mm. it's been sat there and i've been like oh, do i mean it today no it's not the right time it's never a right time there's so never another happen. 2021 <laughs> yeah exactly but i'm going to take a i'm going to take a punt at a one of one nice i wish you the best of luck with that um yeah i i uh i have really enjoyed talking to you i really appreciate you being so open and honest and vulnerable and kind of really uh, answering answering anything that I've asked in in a very sort of genuine way and not sort of fallen into what a lot of people tend to do, um, especially in Web three. I found uh, is like falling into this kind of professionalism mode. Um, not to say that you're not professional, <laughs> but um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it just I think always makes for a, a better conversation. The more open and 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 uh, less guarded and and kind of pre-answered questions it felt like you were really uh opening up and talking honestly so that really helps for a better conversation i think um i'm a big fan of your work uh i've been following your work for a couple of years now you are one of the guest artists on my project tabs which feels like about 10 years ago but it was only two years ago or something <laughs> um but yeah so so sort of known you since then and um it's been it's been awesome to see your uh, trajectory and i always struggle with that word and um yeah just to see to see you be able to make the leap to full time artist uh you know discovering like a whole new selection of collectors and and grow within the space has been really awesome to see so uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, well, the feeling was likewise. Um, I had pleasure coming on and uh, you're a good host, you're a decent host. I've been on a few of these things where it's just like dead air and yeah, no, good hosting. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'll have to edit all of the dead air out. So if you're yes. listening to this, yeah, there was loads of dead air. It was just being nice. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm trying like like to be honest about the, the the podcast i've had that same thing that you've had which is you know the the self-doubt creeping in the conversations with myself about no one's going to want to listen to you um you know the you know you're 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 not you're not built for this this is not your thing stay inside your lane mm -hmm. um i did twitter spaces and then the, so i thought this would be a piece of cake and then the first um first run i had at it i was like oh, okay that's not it's not the same thing it's actually it's mm -hmm. a little bit different to a to a live um sort of voice only social 
meeting. I don't know how you would describe Twitter spaces or clubhouse, but yeah, it's slightly different to get behind a microphone and a camera and, and do this. But, uh, thank you for saying that and trying to get it as good as it can get. So yeah, I wouldn't be able to make it without guests. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, mate. Right. See you later. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to follow our guests on whichever social media platform you enjoy using most. Links are in the usual places. Links to all my social media accounts can also be found at the bottom of every single page over on my website at danielcrossan.com. The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please leave a review and even consider sharing the podcast with a friend. Special thanks goes to Low Fox for producing the music for the podcast. Thank you very much again for listening. See you next time. Take care.